So what did you guys want to talk about? So we have a pretty good list. I mean, I know the apparently Objective-C is out and Swift is in. But first, Pam, tell, tell us about JSConf. Yes, I mean, I just wanted to, like, I just went on a link hunt and uh, just to pull all the things that, uh, at least, excuse me, things that got on Twitter uh, from JSConf. You know, at the end of a conference, you can kind of go on Twitter and start seeing where everyone's been posting their decks and everything. I think probably of the list that I set, one of my favorite ones was the uh, art stuff. Was this a presentation at the conference? Yeah, and actually, I believe, so they have the, the main track, and then they have the B track, which is where you get to speak, but you aren't an official speaker, I guess. The So, Quandeep, so Witchlight on the GitHub's, talked about participatory and interactive art and apparently did some demos where so there's this neat so let's see I, I know I played with the Dancy Dots one so it's dancydots.com and if you weren't sure how to spell Dancy it's D-A-N-C-E-Y Dancy Dots um, so if we went to this and if we had a live show we would oh I haven't <laughs> and I actually haven't played with it with sound so it apparently also sound <laughs> I don't know if this is coming through in the podcast, but it's really fun. <laughs> so so nobody is uh, hearing the sound. So can you describe what we're seeing and, and hearing? Yeah, so it's, uh, so Dancy Dots is you, uh, as each person joins, you get your little own colored dot, kind of like, like Together JS style where you, you know, and then you join and you're interacting with each other in real time. Uh, but when you click, it makes this really pleasant, uh, <laughs> Like, but not, not like your alarm clock, but you know, like a reverberant. Uh, it's a, it's a little. It, it reminds me of um, what is that musical instrument with the you like bring your finger closer to it and it changes tone in the air. Uh. <laughs> Nobody. Okay. Bueller. No. <laughs> uh. I'll look it up. I'll find out. Yeah, and then you'll make the the javascript powered version of it because it's apparently that noise so <laughs> you could make a nice little visual but it sounded like I, I think they did you know it's it's funny looking at it from this perspective because i actually wasn't there but uh, it's funny to think about it you know just kind of trying to figure out what people were doing because uh, i saw some people who were attendees talk about you know that this was one of their pretty much one of or their favorite thing that they did was they went to this talk and uh, I, un I understand that they did this stuff together and talked about because i'm just into the idea of you know talking about participatory art i feel like it's one of the um, the very cool kind of corners of web dev that people are, are getting into, and especially in like the JavaScript and CSS worlds, you get a lot of people getting into participatory art. Kind of the, I mean, I I know when I worked in New York for a bit, I met a good number of Flash developers, and Flash developers were coming into the JavaScript fold, and they were bringing all this cool experience with making interactives. So you had people who, you know, make the displays for Vegas conventions and things like that. Like there's someone who does that. And now those people are starting to do that with JavaScript or doing physical installations and things like that. That's really neat. There was a, um, a node knockout app that reminds me of this. Uh, I forget what year it was. I'm trying to find it. 
Uh, but basically, it was you go in browser and then you control a single pixel in a grid. And it was a game, and it said, you know, make this shape, and it would be like uh, like an infinity symbol, but like eight bit like squares. So then you and a bunch of other people would have to like line yourselves up, all not able to communicate with each other, just kind of moving around the board and try to make that shape. And then it would award points to everybody that was in that shape, and then and then it would say another shape, and then all the pixels would start moving again. Uh, I'll try and find out what that is for the show notes. The other thing I thought that was really interesting from, I guess this came out of JSConf, was uh, SweetJS. Uh, yeah, so that, that has existed for uh, a while before. Oh, okay. Uh, but, I, but I saw people referencing it in, in the JSConf stuff, so I thought it'd be good to put it on there. So, so SweetJS brings macros and other things like that you want to JavaScript. Uh, I think that's also just interesting in terms of the topic of kind of like, you know, this is one we could, you know, table for a nice long topic, but kind of talking about like being polyglot and one of the things that someone was talking about being polyglot, uh, someone else's user group that I went to and about how the one of the great reasons to be polyglot is that you find something you like and you can take it to whatever other language you want. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you can always, you know, write that functionality in that language and get your, you know, preferred mode of doing things available to you. So what's an example of something you could do with macros with SweetJS? So one thing I saw was that there are ES6 features, uh, like the next version of JavaScript, that you can use SweetJS and I forget what the other library is called, but you can basically implement all those features in basically backport them with macros. So in IE8, you could get fat arrow functions with JavaScript? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, but macro expansion is popular like in Lisps and a lot of other languages. And it's, I don't have any like use case top of my head, but like any, sometimes you don't necessarily want to call a function or a method. Sometimes you just want to like replace, sim simplify the code you're writing. And I think macros have a good use case for that. Like it can remove boilerplate. Yeah, and so I, I posted SweetJS, and there is an accompanying unshackling JavaScript link uh, that I believe would you know be relevant to to check out a little bit. And the interesting thing too about going through people's decks is some people are very much of the uh, either I mean intentionally or not they're of the school of I pulled some decks and I was like, well, I have no idea what this is about. You know, the unshackling JavaScript one is a little cryptic. But some of it makes sense. I think those are some of the best speakers when you have just an image to kind of underscore your point. But yeah, then the deck by itself is pretty pointless. Yeah. And I mean, some it's just a kind of school of thought is like the some people say, you know, you 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 shouldn't have a, a deck that that's a talk without you. So like you should be necessary in order to have your talk. But at the same time, I really I like I have this appreciation for the finely crafted deck. Like, some decks get a lot of good shares, and they're useful to just... Because people learn different ways. And so, you know, a lot of people like videos and talks, but it's kind of nice. I mean, I, I always love, you know... Like, I, I really like on Coursera that you can fast-forward the video. You can actually play it at 2x. So I listen to my lectures twice as fast because I get kind of tired of listening to someone talk for a long time. So... 
having something where you can just read it is really nice. So this link you posted about everything is broken and I don't know why is a pretty good example of that. I went through that deck and uh, I'm, I'm and pretty you were, impressed. That it's, that it's useful or not useful? I thought it was very useful. I was able to... to... I can remember that one. Uh, yes, because that's one that you can actually read. Right. Yeah, because then I actually went through and, you know, because I could read the deck, he's, so in that presentation he's talking about this service uh, about about errors which are pretty interesting as an interesting idea to think about errors and then you know in that i i suspect that there was also kind of a oh i also have this error tracking service called get sentry and i could tell that that was kind of one of the points of the presentation and so then you know it made it into the links so get sentry is um, a service where you can basically get an air break type report of uh, errors that happen on your client. Yeah, I think that that sounds like it's what it is. I love error tracking services. Um, I feel like though every product I've been on, they're like the last thing we actually implement. <clears throat> client side error tracking is so critical these days. Uh, I was on a project where the JavaScript shipped broken, like there's just an on error on load, and oh, the, and just none of it worked. Yeah, so just none of it worked. That's it, great. Yeah. So we didn't ship to production like that, but we did ship to QA, and QA filed like a hundred bucks. All the bugs <laughs> could not sign I... in, could not sign up. Like everything, it's like yeah, everything's broken. <laughs> now I I get so annoyed by that because it's like, why did you spend a testing cycle? Like, didn't, why didn't you just like go home and just be like, obviously this is broken and you all like really messed up? Maybe they're just very optimistic. I just, no, I think they just like billing QA hours. I don't know, man. I just, it bothers me when I'm, I'm like, this is the obvious thing. And that is, you know, it is obvious that something is wrong. And this one thing that is wrong is causing many issues. Maybe you should tell me about the one issue before you file 18,000 bugs. I think they probably just think differently than a developer would. So they don't think that, oh, this one thing can break the entire site. They just keep going, and maybe this, they think in features, probably. If this one thing's broken, then the other thing probably works, and they don't just put it together. That's, I mean, maybe one day we could get a QA person to answer our questions. I saw on one podcast that they uh, they brought in a recruiter and then bombarded the recruiter with questions about uh, recruiter status stuff. Maybe we could do that to a QA person. So let's talk about the WWDC. Uh, yeah, I mean, so in terms of the the idea of like someone expert talk about, or not so much expert, but clued in, talk about this because I I like do not follow WWDC. Uh, I don't I don't follow many like I don't follow IO. I just I wait for because inevitably I'm going to hear about the thing that is important to hear about. Yeah, I, I like watching the keynotes. I, you know, use a Mac and have an iPhone and have an app in the App Store. So I, I like following what's going on. Uh, and there's a lot of cool stuff announced. Uh, a lot of it not really too interesting to programmers, except for uh, Apple is creating a new programming language for iOS and Mac development, which I think is really neat. Because uh, I feel like both uh, iOS and Android are kind of... Uh, shackled, I guess is the right word, by uh, 
kind of more legacy languages, like Objective-C and Java are not the most beginner-friendly things you could program with. So I'm excited to see a officially supported language from Apple for iOS development that is intuitive for a beginner to pick up. Um, so, so for those who don't know, uh, Swift is a language that kind of looks like, um, <clears throat> you could say like JavaScript without semicolons, you could say it looks like Python, but not white space important, you could say it looks like Ruby a little bit. It, it's just a very uh, terse, it, it looks like a scripting language even though it's compiled. Anna Len, can you give a better description than I am? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what I'm interested to know about is why is it so awesome apparently, and also what what is so awful about Objective C that it's replacing, and furthermore, is it really is it one for one replacement? And would you have a project that could gradually migrate to Swift? Like so, so the thing about Java is that you can also I don't think you can do this with Android, but you know if you're writing a Java app, you can also start migrating to Scala you know, piece by piece. And so that's one of the kind of nice things that you can do if you are in a Java app. Can you do that with Swift? Since Swift sits, compiles down to the same bytecode as Objective-C, you can. You can have Swift and Objective-C live together. But the things that I think is awesome is the integration with uh, Xcode um, and just like the visual programming aspect of it. Yeah, do you want so, to describe that? So in the demo, the guy had a blimp um, I think he had a velocity on the blimp, and you can see as time changes how the value changes. But even simpler than that, just saying like one yeah, he plus was just one. saying like one plus one or hello var string equals hello, and it would like show up in the right bar, um, like a right sidebar. And this is the playground feature, right? I'm not sure. I yeah. thought it was just like you can see like this was just part of Xcode that how the language works with Xcode. It could be the idea. I haven't downloaded the idea yet. Yeah, I think specifically to see those visualizations is my understanding that you needed to make a playground because otherwise most of your code are, are classes that need to be kind of instantiated before they have any values, so you're not really going to see that. But in a playground, you'll have some code. It's kind of like what Lightroom does. Uh, and whatever code on the left, uh, you'll see a visualization of it on the right whether or not that's a number or an image or an animation. Uh, you can just see that and see it kind of interactively. So back to Pam's point. Uh, so the way they described it during the, the talk, which I think is pretty astute, is uh, Objective-C is C, but with uh, more object-oriented features and more modern features, but it still has the C legacy. And C is a very old language, and, and you know, you have... C has headers and uh, explicit type declarations. And I think both of those are not really common in more modern languages. So this new language uh, doesn't have header files. You don't have to like declare interfaces up front. And the types are, it is statically typed, but it is uh, inferred. So if you say uh, var x equal 1, it knows that x will always be an integer. If you say var x equals, you know, a string literal, it'll it'll know that x is always a string. So it won't let you change that to be a different value than a string. Uh, it also so had, yeah. types. Yes, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, they're so 
Clojure compiled compiler does that. It will prevent you from switching a type if you've already assigned one? Generally, yeah. That's part of the, because you're running it through the compiler, so it's making some optimization, so it actually kind of adds types. Are we saying Clojure or Clojure, like the Google Clojure? Clojure, uh-huh. Like the Google Clojure compiler? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I have not messed with that much. Um, other things, it has uh, let and var are different. So you use let to make a constant, and var is a variable that can change in the future. So it kind of, um, from what I've heard, a lot of the API uh, champions using let wherever possible. So you have more uh, encouraged immutability. Um, and there's a, just a lot of nice features that are common in more modern languages. So what are you going to do with it? So I so I, I said I have an app in the App Store. It's written in Ruby Motion. I learned... So I, I first tried to learn Objective-C and make an iPhone app in 2008 when the iPhone 3G f first came out in the App Store and I bought my first Mac. But I didn't know how to program and Objective-C was fairly difficult for me. And then over the years, I learned Ruby, and then I d bought Ruby Motion when it first came out and made an app. And like, I had a prototype running in four hours because I already knew Ruby, and all I had to learn was uh, Cocoa, which is the framework. Isn't that kind of the most difficult part, though? I mean, what what made me intimidated of Ruby Motion was just how long all these method names are, and trying to navigate that without any kind of IntelliSense or tools. Yeah, but 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 you but you're familiar with Ruby and. Like the rest of it, you are already are intuitive about. So, so if you're learning iOS development, you need to learn Objective C and Cocoa. But if you already know Ruby, you're only learning Cocoa. So, somebody who had to learn Swift, but just looking at the language and, and looking at how beautifully simple it is, I think that for beginners, it will be much easier to get started with uh, iOS development than if they were trying to learn Objective C as well. It seems like a much more natural. Uh, more expressive language. And there's also the fact that it's kind of the ground floor. I think one of the things for me that's intimidating about learning Objective-C is that, you know, there's just years and years and years of, of updates and changes. So trying to dive into it at this point means uh, trying to you know build up all this history. Yeah, I don't know if I completely agree with that. And that'd be like trying to say like people shouldn't learn Ruby right now because people have been doing Ruby for 20 years. I think you can be good at a language even if it's been around for a while. <laughs> if you're starting from scratch. But there's just a lot more to learn. <clears throat> so you have to know, you know, that ARC exists now, uh, automatic reference counts counting, but, you know. That's true. It, it has changed over the years. So yeah, just overall, I'm, I'm really excited about this for, for beginners. Um, and like myself, like, I don't know what to see. So if I were to make a new iOS or Mac app, I would start with this and not Objective-C. And segue, one of the things I want to talk about was also Remotion is now on Android, uh, or will be with the 3.0 release. So Remotion is a sold piece of software, a licensed software, that allows you to write Ruby and use command line tools and produce an, iPhone, an iOS app or a Mac app with it. So like I was just saying, as somebody who knows Ruby and not Objective-C, it was very... You know, very intuitive to to get up and running. It's somebody who already uses command line tools like Vim and you know the shell. It's just very very nice to get up and running. So I really love Ruby Motion, and now you can build Android apps with it. 
so as I was saying before, only having to learn Cocoa, which was the framework for iOS, if I want to make an Android app now, I would only have to learn the Android framework and not Java as well. So I think that's really neat. Has anybody else done any iOS or Android development? I've been trying to learn Objective-C. And now you're throwing that book away, right? (laughs) I I don't think so. At least when I get a better grasp of it. But that's it. I haven't done anything else. Just basic apps. I've done Android. I haven't done the iOS, and now I'm glad I had to didn't bother with that Objective C course on Code School. <laughs> I would love to see Swift uh, be able to compile into other languages. I guess this is the one critique of it, uh, which shouldn't be really too surprising coming from Apple. Um, but it's not a open source language, it, and it's I don't think it has the ability to compile to other targets other than LLVM. Um, so I don't know if you can use this to. Well, like, if you did, if you did have a compiler to other languages, you would basically be enabling reverse engineering, right? Because it's almost like giving you a Rosetta Stone. Possibly. So yeah. if I compile to three languages I know, then I can figure out by walking backwards what's happening within Swift. Possibly. I don't know if that's a a fear for them. Oh, um, it's just an interesting concept. Yeah. Like I don't know if I can like learn this and a write a write an app I can deploy to Heroku. I don't know if that's feasible or not. It would be it would be neat. To uh, web app. Yeah, like like could I deploy a server side like Linux uh, binary with with Swift at some point in the future? What kernel is iOS based on? Is it a Linux kernel? It is uh, the like I know more about the innards of Android. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's the same kernel as Mac, which is based on uh, I Unix think. Kernel. Well, yeah, it's Unix like it's like FreeBSD, I believe, at some point. Yeah. Um, a BSD based kernel, and the actual bytecode is uh, LLVM, which is which is used by like uh, modern C compilers uh, that are not Mac native. But I don't know if Swift itself would compile to that as well. I don't know, just an interesting thing for me because I, I, I like uh, trying different languages out and trying to build uh, web apps with them and just kind of see how it feels. So one of my tests of Swift, if it's possible, would, would be to you know build a simple HTTP API and see, if, see how that feels. But I don't know if that's feasible outside of a Mac ecosystem. Have you guys ever used one of the like, cross-platform like iOS tools like Titanium, Accelerator? I phone-gapped. And yeah. I did try titanium, but it's honestly those are. I mean, phone gap. I understand how that works. I didn't delve enough into titanium, but you you're essentially building a web view, and so it's one of the interesting comments I kind of saw with the Swift thing. Well, there were two that were kind of my favorites. One was, did no one tell Apple that the future is is the web? So like <laughs> that everything is just a web app shipped in many places. Um, so that with the whole Swift thing and the the comment of, you know, if I wanted a, a corporate non-open source language, then C-sharp has been pretty good for a while. And it actually is a pretty good language. Um, but, you know, people who don't like Microsoft don't really give it a chance. But I think C-sharp is closer to Objective-C than, than Swift. It, it seems to be like the same um, explicitly typed, more verbose version of a, of a class-based language. Well, I mean, C-sharp is just Java. <laughs> yeah, like C sharp. Well, C sharp is that's their point is that it's Java. If 
Java had known what it wanted to grow up to be. Yeah, they had the benefit of coming later and not making some of the same mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done PhoneGap as well. I don't think that, uh, you know, everybody says, like, every year, like, oh, this is the year that HTTP or, or, or uh, HTML is going to be uh, native enough to be shipped on, on mobile apps. And, you know, every every single year there are more and more apps that come out that are native that blow our minds. And I'm sure there are use cases where HTML makes sense if you just have a, you know, static view and you have forms and buttons. But, you know, as an iOS user, I can I can tell when an app has not used like native native functionality. Yeah, I built one app with Titanium, and uh, I loved it at first. I was so proud of myself. We were able to use like SAS and CoffeeScript to to make all these views. But then we got to the point where we tried to format the views, and without like the Xcode tools, it was just spending all day loading up the the, the simulator. Uh, changing a couple pixels uh, in the CSS and then reloading again. And it was just the feedback cycle is way too long. Yeah, but, you know, remember that we also are very spoiled by dev tools. That was web development not too long ago. Poke it and see how it pokes back. <laughs> I still do that. Uh, so anytime I'm writing an app for, for another screen where I don't have awesome debug visibility, it's, it's that kind of thing. We are writing for a different kind of device. Sure, but I'm just wondering if avoiding Objective C was worth, you know, the the pain of uh, that kind of feedback. Because Objective C theoretically would have given you those debug tools. Well, using using Xcode would, yes. Yeah. How about the uh, texting any type of user? So, like from your computer, so like Android or anybody hey, that's a green bubble. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah, there were a ton of cool uh, features for Mac and iOS users uh, announced at WWDC for the next version of iOS and, and OS X. Anything else that uh, happened this week that we want to talk about? Uh, I have a side note. So I've heard people say, so I haven't watched this talk, but it's uh, Invention on Principle. Have you guys seen it? No. I've heard of it. What was that about? Uh, it's pretty much a guy that used to work at Apple demoing the playground like four years ago. Uh, and I was talking to someone, and they're like, well, if that was four years ago, and it's just coming to fruition, like, what else could be in the pipeline from Apple? And do you guys have any predictions or things that you'd want to see from Apple? Uh, no, but I think that Google will release a, another officially supported Android language in the future. Somebody made a comment that like Go has been around for a few years and is perfectly suited to Android development, but Google hasn't utilized it for that yet. So I wonder if we'll see like a Go or another like similar modern language for Android development. I guess it would be different though because Android's based on the JVM. Can you make a non-JVM Android app? I'm not sure. Well, because you have it's not. So I know somewhere in the stack the Dalek virtual machine sits. D-A-L-L-I-K, not mm-hmm. D-A-L-E-K. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that's that's the virtual machine I know sits in there that you have the the kernel and then the Dalek VM sits in there. And I'm not sure if where the JVM comes into play. Because Java is the only official supported language for Android development, right? So I would, I would just be interested to see if, if Google responds by 
by offering Android developers another avenue for, for Android development. Oh, I do have to just, I have to, sorry, I Googled it and so I have to correct myself. It's D-A-L-V-I-K. Ah, okay. <laughs> Dalvik, not Dalek. But I remember it as Dalek. <laughs> Apparently also the name of a village in Iceland. Uh, also things I learned from Wikipedia this morning. <laughs> so that if you want to visit the Dalvik village, maybe it's a small town owned by Google in Iceland. <laughs> Iceland is green and Greenland is icy. I don't know. Other time. other things we, we <laughs> learned today. Do you guys want to do picks? Yeah, so I think my picks are the those art links from out of JSConf. I think those are pretty cool. We should definitely get them get them distributed in the show notes. I think it's also pretty neat. I, I posted the that there's a studio in Boston that this this person who gave the talk works with. Uh, is his, I think it's one of his side jobs. I think that's pretty interesting that there's a public art web studio that involves engineers and and developers and such. Awesome. Other picks? Uh, I can go next. Uh, I will pick Closure for the Brave and True. It's a book for beginners um, about closure. And you can find it at braveclosure.com. Justin? I will pick Hiccup. So I've been playing with Clojure the past few weeks. Hiccup is a HTML templating library for Clojure. And it's really, uh, it really surprised me at how uh, intuitive it is to express HTML and Clojure data types. Uh, because Clojure data types are uh, nested and they, or they can have like a, almost like a hash, like a map, to have attributes on each element. Uh, so it just really feels very closure-like and also very HTML-like. So I was really surprised by that. So hiccup, templating language. So my pick this week is Reality is Broken, Why Games Make Us Better and How They Can Change the World. Uh, but I'll kind of uh, say that it's probably only worth it if you have an extra Audible credit because I, I really appreciated the first half of the book where uh, the author describes uh, kind of the rules of games and how games can make us more likely to you know get into flow, get into uh, working really hard. Uh, but then the second half of the book is mostly trying to do just cheesy gamification points and levels on top of everything. So my pick this week is the first half of Reality is Broken. Nice. Cool. So I guess right. that's it. Yeah. So we'll right. talk next week. Have a great day. See you guys Bye. later.